So tonight, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 14. Um, and just to preface tonight, I have listened to a couple people read this chapter. Um, they mostly all pronounce all these names differently. And so what you're getting tonight is the, uh, the Tyler um, translation of some of these words. Um, it may be rough. Um, I may give some of them nicknames. Just roll with me. Um, because it's, it's bad. I let Gina listen to it earlier, and he just laughed at me. It's like, good luck, man. Um, but we'll be in Genesis chapter 14. Um, and we're going to end up spending a lot of time in just that whole chapter. But before I do that, I, I want to tell you guys a story because I think it will help illustrate what I mean when I get to the end. Um, a lot of you kind of know some pieces of this story. If you've heard it before, well, you're going to hear it again. Um, I used to be in a band. Um, we met each other in at North Greenville. Um, I, I walked into Chorus um, when I first got there, and there's this guy with long, stringy hair with a big old purple streak in it. I said, that looks like my kind of guy. So I went and stood beside him. Um, his name was Alex, and he was shaped like a triangle because he didn't do leg day, and he was just like buff up here, but he had little bitty chicken legs. Um, he's a good dude. Um, and we sat beside each other, and, and we sang. He's like, hey, man, you got a good voice. I play guitar. We should get together sometime. First day. That's, I mean, day one at North Greenville, that's how my college experience started. I was like, cool. And so I went and hung out with him a few times, found out we were very much into the same style of music. We kind of wanted to do the same stuff. Um, he was what I thought was a believer. These days I recognize that he is not, um, and he wasn't then. But he had all the right words. He had this mentality that I got along with because, believe it or not, um, because of some truth that Scott told me when I was in his youth group, I had been very turned away from the church. Scott had hit me with some deep truth um, about who I was and about what I was about, and it pissed me off. I didn't want it anymore. I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to do my own version of church. I wanted to kind of be some, like, that rebellious kind of the church. Well, I don't need the traditional church because the traditional church is just full of rules and, and they're, they're this and they're that. And we can do this kind of like in a new school kind of way. And so the music that me and Alex listened to was kind of some, some heavier stuff. And so we kind of joined that movement and we, we started a band and we played a show or two. And not to be prideful, but we were pretty good. We had some opportunities to go play some places and uh, what started out as just this acoustic group turned into this full band thing and we just found all these people at North Greenville that just kind of flooded that way. And so as we prayed, because we did, we prayed and asked for God's guidance and, and for him to show us stuff, all these people fell into our lives. And so we had this band, we were called Sing Me Surrender, um, because a little bit, Alex wanted to go super heavy, and I wanted to go almost indie acoustic, but we kind of met in the middle, so it was like we're going to sing out our surrender and do what we're supposed to be doing. So it kind of had a biblical direction. And all of our songs were Christian. They had Christian lyrics, they were about Christian things. Um, they were a tad openly against the modern church, um, but still with a, a decent mindset behind them. And so we get to a point where we're playing a couple shows and um, people are, are liking it. We're selling just some like rinky-dink, just junky CDs that we recorded in Alex's attic. They were horrible. Um, 
So we get this opportunity to record up in Greensboro, and it was $1,500. We're broke college kids of nothing. And so we start selling CDs. I think we sold about two or $300 worth of $5 CDs, um, which is pretty decent, um, but nowhere near close to what we need to do. So we started trying to figure out all these different side jobs. We, we cut some people's grass. We were doing some cleanup stuff, just random stuff trying to make the money. And I had this super low to the ground, couldn't barely see it in the parking lot car. And I'm sitting at the Walgreens in Bowling Springs, and I'm sitting there about to go in, and this moving van backs into me because he's like, I, I couldn't see you because my car was like this tall. Um, you couldn't stick your foot underneath it. Um, it was a horrible car, bad decisions. Um, and so turns out, because I didn't put the stuff on my car, my back bumper was worth 800 bucks because of the body kit and how it all worked. So he ran into it, and insurance cut me a check for almost $1,000. Well, it wasn't that bad. So I took the back bumper off, put some of the stock on there. It was good to go. Well, we still kind of came up short. Well, I get pulled over in Inman because my taillights were smoked out. And this was the, this is the best story. This is just fun to tell. So I pull over on the side of the road. A cop pulls, pulls me over, goes to the side of the road too. And he's taking forever. He gets out of the car and he goes and talks to one of his buddies that's across the street. I have to pee. I'm like, they're about to have another charge to give me some indecent exposure or something. I, I'm going to have to pee on the side of the road. I'm about to bust. Well, as I'm looking at my rearview mirror, the lights steadily get bigger and more bright. And it's like, well, that's not good. And it hits me about a second before that. This cop car is about to roll into me. So the cop slams into the back of my car. He had forgotten to put his car in park. Um, and so that damage was another about a thousand bucks. And so what we did is I, I was, we were praying for ways that God would, would give us the money to go record. And then all of a sudden, back-to-back -back opportunities dropped where just a grand here and a grand here. So we had enough money to not only go and record, but also fix up this like junky RV and drive it up there so we could stay there for a week to record. And we ate nothing but ramen and like Easy Mac the whole week. It was awful, super bad indigestion. Um, and so what appeared to be a great, great thing, it looked like God was moving. I mean, like what cop runs into the back of somebody? I mean, that is just, that's, this doesn't happen. I mean, if he gets to put the car in part, that's ridiculous. And so in my mind and in the band's mind, we're like, oh my gosh, all this money is coming to place. Uh, people liking our music, everything is going good. This must be a sign that God is, is really behind us, that everything must be just in his will, that just all these things are, are lining up. And so we head up to Greensboro, and uh, in that week, my world came crashing down because it was in that week that I found out that I had destroyed my vocal cords singing and doing them, it's like singing improperly. So all the muscles were swollen and jacked up. And so we record this $1,500 CD and then never played another show. Um, it's a complete total waste. And for months I, I prayed and prayed and I was like, God, why would you do this to me? And it led me down a horrible path and, and you know, I almost committed suicide over it and it was just, it was this big progression. But when I came back around, God, God taught me something. He asked, I felt him kind of ask me this question one day. Um, he said, Tyler, why did you go to North Greenville? What was the reasoning behind going to North Greenville? And as I looked back and I thought and I thought and I thought, I said, you know, I felt for the longest time that I was called to be a youth pastor. And when I got there, 
the band came into place and I ended up dropping out of school because of a couple of other things. I got into a bad motorcycle wreck, but I, I stopped pursuing what God had called me to. And so what God taught me in that was, you know, you can align, yourselves that, align yourself with things that look like they're ordained by God only to find out that you are miles outside of his will. Just because it looked like God was blessing and God was pushing and, 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 and that we were doing things because it had this big Jesus sticker attached to the side and we were being successful. I mean, we were successful to the point that I don't know if any of you guys know this label, but um, it's called Tooth and Nail. It's out in Seattle. And some of the bigger bands in that genre, that's what they were from. I mean, people that were making just ridiculous amounts of money. Um, anybody know who Under Oath is? Thank you. Okay, that was supposed to go somewhere, but it didn't. Um, really, really big bands that were making, I mean, on tour buses that were paid for, I mean, huge, huge label, was interested in us. That's how, that was the level of successful that we had gotten. But it all came crashing down. It was in that moment that God said, you've got to make sure that you are in my will and make sure that you are doing exactly the same thing that I've told you to do. And you need to understand that if I've told you to do something the first time, Anything else outside of that, that first commandment that I've given you is wrong. You can't bring yourself to get, you can't get out of that. You can't align yourself with stuff that looks okay when I've told you no. Because all that will do is end up in destruction in your life. And so that was what happened to me. And that's, that same choice that I had, I, I had the choice to either continue to pursue ministry or to go and, and join this band. That same kind of choice to, to do something that, was, was culturally okay and was in the, in the church world, it was okay. I wasn't doing anything sinful in, in any of it, but I was outside of the will of God because God had called me to do something. That choice is exactly the same choice that Abraham has presented in the end of this chapter. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna read through it and there's a lot of really good stuff in this chapter, but what God pressed on my heart this week was the end of it. So I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna read it and kind of retell it a little bit because it's a little confusing. And then I, I want to really sit on the last um, like five verses. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into Genesis chapter 14. And all the while, I, wanna be, I want you guys to be thinking about that alignment issue. Um, God, I just want to thank you for the, for the students and the adults that are here. Um, I want to thank you for their hearts, for them being available, for them loving to be a part of this group. God, I, I've just, I've seen them grow over these past few, these months you know, from the mission trip that I believe there are genuine friendships in this room. Not just, oh, we go to church together, but lifelong friends that are being formed here. God, that the body is, is slowly starting to, to learn to function together. God, I, I believe that through things like the mission trip and through the summer camp that's coming up I and mean, as we continue to do Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and the hangouts, God, I believe that there's a spirit of unity that you, you want to bring to this, this group. God, I believe that you're already moving and you're already doing it. God, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the lives that have been changed. I'm so, so thankful for the ones that have been saved, the, the, the ones that are growing, the ones that have entered into discipleship relationships. Um, God, for the success of the small groups, the, the, the whole thing, God, I'm so thankful that you're moving. God, but tonight I want to ask you to do something else. God, I, I want each of these students, and, and myself included, and all the other leaders, to learn from my mistakes and to learn from, from Abraham's triumph. 
God, there's no reason why we shouldn't learn from the people of the past, the people that have gone before us, the people that, are, that, that have been through those trials and tribulations and can tell us the step-by-step process on how to not do them. You know, this whole series is wrapped around the, the thought that, that Abraham was a friend of yours. God, that he was accounted righteous because of his actions. And, and that's something that we should shoot for. Each and every one of us should look at the example of Abraham and say, you know what? He was called a friend of God. He was called righteous by his actions and his faith. That's the kind of person that I want to be. So let me look and study his life. Let me dig into who he was and the way he did things and look at his failures and look at his successes and, and see where I can match up the same way. God, so I, I pray tonight as we look, God, that you would guide my, my, my words, God, you would guide my tongue as I try to read through this passage. God, I, the, this story, this message, this simple message, it's not long, it's not complicated, it's not crazy. God, but it's to the point, it's direct. God, I pray that it would impact lives in this room and they would realize that there are some things in their lives that they are not aligning with your will. God, even to, down to the smallest Thing. God, I pray that if there's things in these people's lives, in my life, that are not lined up perfectly with your will, I pray that we would get rid of them and we would, we would promise tonight to, to get rid of those things in our lives, no matter what it is, no matter how small, no matter how big. God, I pray that you would give them courage to lay those down. So Father, be with me tonight. Be with everybody in this room. God, I pray that your words would be spoken. God, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Um, so just a quick little recap. Last week, or not last week, I, I can't remember how many weeks ago it's been. Um, two? Wow. Yeah. Crazy holidays at VBS. Um, so last week we looked at, you know, Abraham and left Egypt, um, had kind of been run out. Pharaoh like told him to, to get up and leave because these plagues had kind of come on Pharaoh because Abraham lied about his wife being his sister. Whole big old thing. Um, if you've missed any of the messages there on our um, Spotify and on Apple um, podcasts. Um, you can go back and listen to them. Um, but so Abraham leaves and they go back into the promised land where they're supposed to be in the first place. And they've, they've grown too big. Their wealth has grown too big, him and lots. And so what happens is there's not enough resources. There's not enough water. There's not enough grazing land. And, and their, their servants, the people that are with them, start to fight. So Abraham's people and Lot's people are fighting. They're against each other. And it gets back to Abraham that that's the case. And Abraham, being the man that he is, looks at Lot and says, we're, we're blood. We're flesh and blood. We're, we're, we're family. We, we can't let this tear us apart. We can't let this be something that splits us and divides us. So this is what we're going to do. All of this land is, is out before us. They're kind of on a hill. And they're looking out. And they're looking out towards um, where the Jordan River is, which is a huge river that's, that's very... Um, it's got a lot of vegetation. It's, it's got a lot of water. There's a lot of resources off to the left. And then there's kind of the, the, the area off to the right of it that doesn't look quite as good. But what it is, it's kind of, it's valleyed. Um, it's up and down. And so there were um, grazing lands. There were, there were good lands in between these valleys. You just really couldn't see it from where they were. And so Abraham gives Lot this choice. He says, where do you want to go? So we, so we don't have to fight anymore. You go one way and I'll go the other way. And he gives Lot the first choice. And Lot looks at the Jordan Valley and says, you know what, there's, there's a lot of water there. And it kind of reminded him of the Nile where they'd just been in Egypt and all this um, lavishness and all these resources and everything that he could ever need was that way. And so he looks up and he sees it and he says, you know what, 
if you're gonna give me first choice, that's where I'm headed. But Lot didn't take into consideration, at least not enough, that that's also where Sodom and Gomorrah were, which were places filled with sinners and people that were just awful, awful people, very, very against God and what God wanted. And so because of those riches and because of the, the allure of having everything he needed, that's where Lot went. And Abraham took the other land and, and God says, you know what, I'm gonna give you all this land to all of your inheritance, or all to, your, to all your descendants as an inheritance for all of you to have. And so Abraham kind of walks through the land a little bit and he goes and he sets himself up um, in a place called Hebron. Um, and he builds an altar there and, and that's kind of where he sets up shop. Well, Lot goes down and he makes his home in Sodom. Um, he he kind of takes all his wealth and he goes and he lands in the city full of sinners. And that's where we're gonna pick up tonight because it was probably good for a little while. It doesn't tell us how long that this, that kind of the in between chapter 13 and chapter 14 is. Um, but not too much longer. Lot's goodness, the things that he chose, quickly turned bad. Um, this is also where um, this got so many names that I can't pronounce and y'all just, y'all just give me grace. Um, starting in verse one, it says, in the days of Amphrel, king of Shinar, Erak, king of Elisar, um, we're gonna call this guy Cheddar um, because I've listened to two or three people pronounce his name and it's just, it's crazy. So Cheddar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goam. These kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and Shanab, king of Admah, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Cheddar, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Cheddar and the kings who were with him came and defeated Rephim in Ashtaroth Carnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Yep, and the Horites in the hill country of, of Seir as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpath, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hezazan Tamar. Then the, kingdom of Sodom, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admon, the king of um, Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Cheddar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goam, Amaphrel, king of Shinar, and Arach, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. So the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah had five kings with them. The other kings had four. Um, lost my place. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell into, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell in them and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and Anar. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been captive, had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, both in his, born in his house, 
318 of them and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he, brought all, then he brought back all possessions and also brought back with them his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Cheddar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or sandal strap of anything that is yours. At least you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will say nothing but what... The young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkul, and Mamre take their share. So, that was confusing the first time I read it, so we're going to go back through it a little bit, and I'm going to tell it in the, my version of what happened. So, what you've got is you've got these four kings, and they live way off to the right. If you're looking at a map, they live way off to the right from where Sodom and Gomorrah and where Abraham was. There's like a, a little bit of a mountain range in between them, and King Cheddar um, ruled over all these, all these cities. And so what that would mean is that, they, that these four kings kind of made them pay taxes and they had to, to pay um, in, in, in livestock and, and gold and silver. And, and they were kind of oppressed by these people. Now, there's, they're far away, but they must have had big enough armies to kind of keep their thumb on them. Um, so they were in bondage and... and it doesn't seem like it's like really harsh bondage, but there must have been some sort of taxation that made them rebel. So they spend 12 years under this king and they eventually have enough. They're like, you know what? He's far away. We've got the numbers. So we're just not gonna pay him anymore. We're not gonna serve and do the things that they want us to do. We're not, they probably would call on the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah to go fight with them if they needed to in that 12, 13 year span. And so in the 13th year of this oppression, whatever it kind of looked like, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and a few others got together and said, we're not gonna do this anymore. If they want to, uh, they want to come get their money, they want to come get their provisions, they want us to help them, well, they can come after us. And so they just stop. And for a whole year, they don't do anything. They don't, they don't send anything, they don't help. And so the other kings, King Cheddar and his boys, the Cheddar gang, if you will, um, they decide, you know what? We're gonna go take care of this. They believed in their heart that they had a big enough army, that everything was good to go. And so what they do is they march on Sodom and Gomorrah. And what they do is they take this weird path. So they go down around kind of the mountain range. They go and they take over a couple different places in the process. And then they come around the mountain range at the bottom and they go up towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what they did, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, they assemble their big armies and they march into this valley and then this huge battle takes place. And I'm sure as the kings kind of rolled up, there's, it's five to four. You know, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah have the numbers. They think, man, we've gonna, we're gonna whoop them and then we can just have this freedom that we've been looking for for years and years. Well, that's not what happened. 
King Cheddar and his boys roll in and beat the pants off of them. And it even says that they beat them so bad that these people turned to flee and they, they fell into these pits. And what these pits were, it says bitumen. But as I researched and looked, it's pretty much oil pits where they had been digging stuff out of the dirt and there were just this bubbling, oozing, just gross, smelly petroleum pits that as they were fleeing, many people fell into those and just, they just died in them, which just sounds awful. And one, why are you fighting in a field full of potholes? That just seems counterproductive. Um, but anyways, and so they chase him into the hills and in that process, all the riches of Sodom and Gomorrah, all the riches of all these other kings that are around them, King Cheddar and his boys just take. And so all, Lot gets swept up in that. Lot gets swept up in, in, this, conquer, uh, in this overthrow of, of, of kings and, and he gets taken as captive all the way up to Damascus, which is like the very top of Israel. Um, so, I mean, these people have gone a very, very long way around their world and have taken captive of the whole place. Um, there's a few that have survived, uh, apparently the king of Sodom, because he shows up later in the story, but they've, they've stolen everything. So all these riches, all these provisions, everything was now stripped from them, including Lot. So some of them ha- apparently somebody escapes this fight, and he goes and tells Abraham, Abram at the time, and Abram is moved with, with compassion over his family. He's like, you know, I know me and Lot kind of split ways and we've had our differences of opinion and Lot went one way and I went the other way, but he's family. I've got to protect him. I've got to go save him. I've got to go save him and his wife and, and their, their people. I, I want what's best for him. And so Abram gets his boys together. He only takes 318 and then and, and they kind of bring some more people, but what it kind of looks like is, is they had these huge armies, five kingdoms worth of armies, or four kingdoms worth of armies, and now all, this, all these provisions, all this food, all this material, this was a well-stocked army. And then Abraham and his little 318 people plus a couple different people, I'm thinking maybe 1,000 versus, you know, could have been up to five, 10,000 is, is what this kind of, the battle looks like. And so they really don't seem like they stand a chance. But what Abraham does is he rolls in at night, and does like some guerrilla warfare on them. I, I just picture Abram in the bushes, like just waiting and springing out on people. And what happens is this much smaller army in the middle of the night causes enough chaos and, and ends up killing everybody and, and overthrowing this huge army. And in that, they rescue Lot and they rescue all back all these possessions and they, they start the journey back down to give them back to the people that they belong to. And on the way back, King of Sodom, who is, you know, probably back home licking his wounds and trying to figure out how the heck he lost, hears that all of his possessions have been rescued. So he's super excited. Well, as Abraham's coming back down, this other king, who we don't know anything about, there's no other information except for this story, and then the book of Hebrews talks about him extensively. I'm not getting into all that tonight. It's very complicated, very complex, very, very difficult to understand. Um, But his name is Melchizedek or Chesedek, or Chesedek, as Blake wants to call him. Um, it's not Melchizedek. Um, we can't have Melchizedek and King Cheddar in the same story. Um, it's a lot of dairy. Um, so what happens is Melchizedek is the king of Salem, which is, is essentially, the, he's the king of Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem before it's Jerusalem like we know it with you know, King David and all that stuff. 
And he was the, the king and the high priest at the same time. And he was the king and high priest to God, the God we serve, the God that the Jewish people served. And so not only is there Abram who is worshiping God, but there's also this king in Salem, which is Jerusalem, worshiping God. And so all three of them meet for brunch in the middle of this valley. So they've got some wine, they've got some bread. And what happens is, is they're there to kind of celebrate this victory. They're just there to, to celebrate what's happened, that Abraham has been victorious. The king of Sodom comes. I think the king of Sodom comes to just get his stuff back, really. Um, but Melchizedek wants to celebrate. And so when they meet in this valley, not the valley, yes, yeah, the valley of Sheba, which is the king's valley, um, it says Melchizedek, verse 18, says Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He's the priest of most God, God most high. And he blessed, and blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the God of, the God, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So Melchizedek is, is celebrating. He is this king, this priest, this great man that Abraham obviously looks up to. And he's, his name, which is super important, is Melchizedek. When you look at the, what it actually means, his name breaks down to king of righteousness. That's what his name is. That's what Melchizedek means. And so Abraham is in the presence of this king of righteousness, one that served God, one that Abraham sees as his superior because you look at the rest of verse 20, it says, and Abram gave a tenth of everything, of all the spoils of the war. And, and what we see here is, is one of the first earliest examples of a tithe. And we tithe to the church in modern days, but then they tithe to one that was greater. They gave to the one that was greater. In the Levitical system, they gave, the people gave money to the church, the, Levit, the Levites, the ones that were priests and the ones that did all the sacrifices and did all these things. It was given to somebody that you saw as a superior and you saw as somebody that was farther along spiritually than you. And so you see this relationship of Abram walking up to somebody who he immediately recognizes is this man full of righteousness this man full of, of faith, this, this great man of God. And so Abraham, in this moment of respect, gives him a tenth of everything. This king of righteousness, he gives him a tenth of what he's got. And so then the so king of Sodom, and, uh, Sodom slides in. And he says, oh, this is what I want to do. Because he kind of sees Abraham's reaction to the king of, uh, the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And he he says in verse 21, it says, the king of Sodom says to Abram, give me the people. I, I kind of want my people back. It'd be nice to have some of them because there's not really many of us left. So give me my people back, but this is what I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you do. Take the goods for yourself. So all the spoils of battle, all the gold, all the silver, all the stuff they would have won back from those kings. He says, take it for yourself. But Abram says to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to God, which he's saying, I, I've made a promise to God. I've made a vow possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours. At least you should say, I've made Abraham rich. So what Abraham looks and says, he says, I don't want to give you any credit for the things that are going to happen in my future. I don't want to have any connection with you. I don't want you to be able to look at, at me later on and say, well, you know, Abraham, I'm the one that that made him rich. I'm the one that got him to where he wants to do or what he's able to do. He didn't want the king of Sodom to be able to take any glory from what God was doing. And it's interesting to me that if you look back in the very beginning, we find out that his name is Bera. 
B-E-R-A. And when you look at what that name translates, it's translated, it, it means evil or wicked. And so the king of Sodom's name literally translated to wicked king, awful king, evil king, that was his name. And so what I want you guys to picture is Abraham is in the middle of this valley and he is surrounded by the king of righteousness and the king of evil. In this valley, after this giant success, these good things that are happening to him, he's surrounded by the king of evil and the king of righteousness and he has a choice. He has a choice to align himself with the king of righteousness or to align himself with the king of evil. And so, but what the king of Sodom was, not, was offering was not anything uncommon. That was a normal thing for the victor of a great battle. He was supposed to get the spoils. He was supposed to, oh, since you were successful, you were, you were supposed to take all these riches. You were supposed to have all the good stuff from the battles. That was what was culturally acceptable. It was not a weird, out of place thing for the king of Sodom to say, you won, man. You succeeded where I couldn't, so give me back my people because... I want my people, but you can have all the spoils of war. So the offer was not out of place. The offer was not a weird offer. It was not an uncommon offer. It was not even a sinful offer for him to take in the realm of his culture. But what we have to realize is that he has promised God that he wouldn't take anything of the king of Sodom because he knew that somewhere along the way, somewhere along the line, the king of Sodom could steal the glory from God. He knew that at some point, all the king of Sodom would have to do is, if, as Abraham's God was being praised, all he had to do was go, you know what, God didn't give him all that. I gave him all that. I let him have all that. And what that would do is it would tear Abraham's testimony. It would tear away at what God was doing in Abraham. It would tear away all the things that, that Abram had been successful in. It would take credit away from God. And it would take credit away from Abram's faithfulness and it would take credit away from what Abram had done by being faithful to God. And so a simple thing of, of aligning himself with the king of Sodom could have ruined so many things that God was working for, even though it was small and it was simple. And we see that Abraham chose correctly by only following and, and aligning himself with Melchizedek because in that there was no glory to be stolen because Melchizedek didn't ask for anything. He didn't want anything. It was just a gift to a king and a high priest that was also the high priest of the God that he served. We see Abram make the right choice. We see him align himself where he needs to align himself. And he, he looked at that situation and said, this is not going to help my relationship with God, even though it is simple, even though it's not really that big of a deal. He didn't let possessions, he didn't let the gold and the riches that he could have taken turn him from what he'd already promised God. He didn't let the allure of being able to do more stuff turn him away from what he'd already promised God. He didn't let the opportunities to kind of live a little bit easier turn him from what he'd promised God because he knew that the promise that God, that he made to God and the promise that God had made to him were much more important. So Abraham chose 
righteousness. And I wanted to ask, to kind of wrap this thing up, put a bow on it. I just, I wondered what would have happened to Abraham if he had chose to align himself with Sodom. What blessings he would have missed out on. What hardships he would have incurred. Because we see what happened a lot when he tied himself to Sodom. He gets destroyed, he gets taken up, and, and we're gonna continue to see that his alignment with Sodom is just a horrible, horrible alignment. That that's just not where a lot should have ever been. And so Abram's fate could have been the same. And the big thing that here is, is Abraham had to decide where he wanted to align himself. And the same question is presented to us. It was presented to me back then. Where do you want to align yourself with? I had the choice to align myself with what I thought was fun and what I thought God was gonna do in my life or I could have aligned myself with the promise that God had already given me and the order and the command that God had already given me. I was supposed to go be a youth pastor. Obviously, that's what God wanted me to do because I'm standing before you now like eight years later. Took me really long to get here, but that's obviously what God wanted. And it was obvious that God did not want me to go be some rock star. I'm not that good anyways. But it was all because I aligned myself with the wrong thing. And so my question to you guys tonight is, what are you aligning yourself with in your day-to-day life that is going to steal glory from God or that is gonna draw you farther and farther away from God? And here's the thing, those things don't come, like what I think the church doesn't understand is the devil doesn't show up with a pitchfork and his pointy, pointy, horns and and all of his stuff that like you would go man that's the devil I shouldn't go to him he's going to show up as everything that you've ever wanted he's going to show up as a as a as a hot guy or a hot girl that sweeps you off your feet and whispers all the right things into your ear that's what the devil's going to show up as he's going to show up as a as a good paying job that makes you work on Sundays and Wednesdays He's gonna show up as a a different career path. He's gonna show up as something that pulls you away from ministry. He's gonna show up in some of y'all's lives that are called to ministry and go, the ministry's hard. I'm gonna give you this opportunity to go to this cushy job and this cushy life and it's it's not gonna be against what your parents want you to do and it's not gonna be be quite as hard. So he shows up in things that make life easier or he's gonna show up in friendships that, that aren't really not that bad that ultimately will pull you away from going to church to being surrounded by your your other friends that are godly influences. He doesn't want to show up with his horns and his pitchfork because he knows that that's not gonna gonna be what draws you away. He's gonna draw you away with things that aren't really bad, they're culturally okay, and the church isn't really gonna say a whole lot about them, but those are the things that will send your life into chaos and into spirals. And you're gonna show up one day and you're gonna look at your life and go, how did I get here? And you're gonna be able to point back to a point in your life and go, it's because I aligned myself with something that was outside of the will of God. And so my question that I want you guys to ponder on, is there something in your life that even though it's not super bad or it's got all these stigmas attached to it, is there stuff in your life that pulls you away from time of God? And I'm gonna hit some of you guys right on the head. Is, is, is Fortnite more important than your, your quiet time and your devotion? Because I'm here to tell you, Fortnite's not bad, it's fun. But if it's getting in the way of you spending time with Christ, then it's an evil, it's a sin, and you need to kick it out of your life. And Jesus would say, not Tyler's words, but Jesus, if your right hand causes you to sin, lop it off, cut it off, get it out. If your right eye causes you to sin, well then carve it out. 
There is no, there's no flirting with sin in Jesus' vocabulary. There's no, you can get up to the line and I'm impressed with how close you can get to the line without stepping off of it. He's impressed with how far away from the line that you can get. Are you pursuing a relationship with a guy or a girl who's not really a horrible person, but he's, but he's not a Christian and I believe that if, I, if, I, if I'm with him long enough and bring him to church, he'll get saved. No, no. No, 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 a hundred times no. If they're not saved and if they're not living for God, don't ever date them. Be friends with them, love them, share Christ with them, pray for them, but you do not align yourself with somebody that is not on the same spiritual path as you, ever. For any reason, there is no exception. That's what the whole unequally yoked thing means. It's not about race, it's not about um, denomination, it's about saved and unsaved, you don't do that. Is there a, a sport that causes you to miss out on, on church, that causes you to miss out on your spiritual life? Well, I hate to tell you this, but I know some of you guys, you're not going pro. The chances and the statistics about going pro are very, very slim. Your time is much more well spent in the word. And, and some of y'all will fire back and say, well, my sport's my platform. Well, you don't have a platform if you're not in the word of God. Because you're telling a testimony, but your testimony is gonna be flawed if you are not grounded in Jesus Christ before you ever walk out on the field. What in your life are you aligning yourself with, tying yourself to, that is robbing God of glory and is pulling you farther and farther away? Whatever that is, guys, we have got to kill it. Not pet it and send it pack in, pack it a lunchable and, and go, good luck, I hope, you, I hope you well in the future. It's no, you, you shoot it in the face. Kill it, get it out of your life. Dead, gone. Don't shoot the people in your life in the face. That's awful, that's murder, it's also a sin. But you get what I'm saying. One false move by Abraham could have ruined everything in his life. And his fate would have been the exact fate of Lot, which is awful. We'll find out more about Lot in the future. One small, simple thing can change your tra trajectory massively. Guys, I'm here to tell you there's nothing more important than your relationship with Christ. And I'm also here to tell you that it's, it's probably not the best thing to miss five or six or seven times at church. It'll be okay, I'll just come back later. I'm not saying that I'm the best teacher in the world, but you are surrounded by fellow believers that want to pick you up. And if this is not the church for you, I won't be mad, but go be plugged in somewhere. I want it to be here because I love all of you. But you need church. And this is not a ploy to grow the youth group or anything like that. It's a ploy to make sure that the people that I love and care for, that these leaders love and care for, don't end up in the situation that I ended up in or the situations that I know some of them have ended up in. Learn from us, learn from Abraham and be courageous enough and brave enough to say, you know what, this is not really that big of a deal, but it's drawing me away from God and I can't let that be the case. Some of you, it's cutting out people in your life. Some of you, it's breaking up with whoever you're with. Some of it's, I know this is painful, guys, but deleting your Fortnite account for a little while. Maybe you don't need the new game system or whatever. I felt old when I said that, game system. Um, I know some of you need to work. You probably don't need to work that much to where you're missing full months of church 
where you're missing out on the gospel being presented. I'm not the best preacher. I'm not the best speaker. I never will be. But I promise you that these leaders and myself pour into the scriptures and we want to give you Jesus as much as possible. And if you'll listen to us, I promise you'll at least grow a little bit. You need this. It's about priorities and what you're going to align yourself with. And so we're going to sing one more song. And the band's going to hate me because I don't want it to be Highlands. We're going to do Spirit Lead Me. Um, Because I feel like it aligns with what we need to do. In your life, sometimes those things that we need to cut out are hard to see. Sometimes they're in our blind spots. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it until somebody else calls us out on it. Or we don't realize we're doing it until the Spirit shows us what that is. You need to be constantly looking into your life and and trying to figure out where God wants to change you. None of us are perfect. I've realized all week that I suck. I'm awful. I'm prideful. I'm angry. I've got anger issues. I'm way too serious. I'm way too negative. And God's working on me about those things. But I have to constantly be reminded that, hey, you've not arrived. You're not perfect. There's always something I need to be working on. And there's things in my life that I've got to get rid of. So tonight, as as the band plays Spirit Lead Me, I pray that that would be your prayer, that the Spirit would lead you in understanding where you need to be different, understanding where you need to change and and where you need to let go of some things and where you need to pick up some things. Guys, you're not going to grow if your Bible's got dust on it. You're just not. This is not enough. It's not if you've not prayed in weeks, you've not talked to God, well, your relationship with God sucks. I'm going to sugarcoat it. When I don't pray to God for weeks, I feel distant, I feel far away from Him, and I have no spirit power to do anything in my life. So what that means is in those weeks that I'm not praying, in those weeks that I'm not reading, every opportunity that walks by me, I'm not enough filled with the Spirit to be able to go accept those opportunities and share the gospel, which means there's people that walk by me daily when I'm far away from God that I don't even see that are desperate and need God so bad in their lives, that are broken, that are hurting, that are dealing with situations. And I'm just trying to get through Walmart and get through the checkout line because I'm not letting the Spirit lead me. I'm not in tune with what God wants me to do. So what happens when you get far away from God, when you start aligning yourselves with the things of this world, you can't be effective for the gospel. And you'll be miserable to handle trials and tribulations in your life. So I don't know where you are. The altar is always open. These leaders are still here. I mean, I know Blake's leading, but grab him if you need him. Somebody else will lead it. Franklin knows it. Do what you need to do in this moment to get yourself aligned with what God wants for you. Because nothing else is more important. Nothing. Father, move in this moment. Convict where you need to convict. Convict me. Convict these leaders. Convict these students. God, I pray that we could start this alignment and move into summer camp and move throughout the summer and, and into JP and the things that we've got going on. And by the end of this year, this youth group and these leaders will be a group that is, is unified, that is connected like one body should be. And we are aligned solely with what you'd have us do in our lives. There's nothing, there's nothing that we can't sacrifice that is, that is, more important than you. There's nothing that is in our lives that, that you would challenge us to sacrifice that's more important in our relationship with you. God, and I pray that you would convict and you would convict heavy in this place. God, you move. You do what you see fit. Amen.